Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding. We're a couple of bird brains looking for adventure and some birds. I'm Hannah and he's Eric. And we bring you this podcast to share adventures with you and talk about other random topics on birding topics. Other, other things about birds, you know. Um, and our adventures and... Um, we have lots of thoughts on birds. Lots of thoughts on birds. But just a couple of disclaimers. Uh, we're not experts. If we discuss any controversial material, we hope you keep an open mind. But remember that there are our own opinions. Yeah. <laughs> so this week, um, we thought we'd talk to you guys about our recent adventure to the Eagle Watch Festival in Madras, Oregon, which is kind of in central Oregon. Yeah. And then talk about the new game that we got. It's a pretty exciting new game. Yep. Everyone's been talking about it online. Oh my gosh, the buzz. <laughs> well, before we get to any of that, um, what sort of birding news do we have this week? Oh, uh, you know, there's usual oddities popping up. Uh, Texas has a golden has two golden crown warblers. Two? Yeah. Huh. One popped up right like after we saw the oh, first one, like right after the first It's still around? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know, the roadside hawk. Roadside still around. still around. Um, now there's a crim- crimson collared grosbeak and a yellow grosbeak, which we've had a lot of friends go chase after that one. I think our good friend Bill Sane, he <laughs> said he traveled out there two times to go get it, and it took him like 16 hours to find it. We need to have stop having friends that are in pit places that they can chase good birds like that. Yeah. So we don't have to see it and don't have to get all jealous. It's okay. We're just up here in Oregon. <laughs> There's plenty of things. We have a northern mockingbird over in Beaverton right now. You want to know the other exciting one in Oregon? What's called? There's a sedren. A sedren? <laughs> yeah, it's in Lane County. It's oh. like, I don't really care to go chase that. <laughs> hey, it would be a good Oregon bird. Yeah, I know, but I've seen them. <laughs> um, so the other thing was that the champions of the flyway, they're still looking for donations. And it seems like they have a lot more teams this year than they have in the past, which that's is good. great. Yeah, that's going to do a lot for vulture conservation in Africa. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's really vultures cool. definitely need to be conserved because people, people hate vultures. Hate vultures. <laughs> I don't know why they hate them so much. And they shoot them. They, they shoot them out of the sky I and know. stuff. Why would you do that? They're, they're the, the slowest the, moving target out there. They're the recyclers of the earth. I, it's ridiculous. Otherwise, we'd be like shoulder high in like dead animals, You're like roadkill. <laughs> trying to sing a song there? For Maybe, me. yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the last thing is my personal birding news, and it's that I reached a thousand birds on my life list over wah, this wah, last wah, weekend. <laughs> and this was accomplished in a big effort from Eric. He really pushed it, and I think it's because he wants to get to a thousand. I'm seven behind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was at 997 going into the weekend, and then we got a Barrows Goldeneye, um, prairie falcon and then number 1000 is a bird that we should have gotten long ago we should have gotten it before we were birders i'm embarrassed that we don't have it already yeah <laughs> me, we have it now though yeah um let me preface before saying it so i went to college at oregon state university and we're the beavers in corvallis oregon and there was this telephone pole like on my way to all my classes that i'd see that had acorns drilled into the telephone pole just the whole thing. Yeah. I, I mean, top to bottom. It was just covered. <clears throat> and so you would think that I would see an acorn woodpecker, but no, I never saw one. <laughs> just weren't paying attention, I guess. I, yeah, that probably was it because we weren't like super like into burning at the time. We were just starting. Yeah. So that was the bird, number 1,000, acorn woodpecker, which 
I felt a little ridiculous when I posted on Facebook. Somebody said, um, you know, Nemesis birds are the worst. It's not really a Nemesis bird. It was just a bird we were too lazy to go get. Well, and we never, like, we, we spent most of our birding, mo- life. birding life before just the last couple of months living down in Texas and in Florida. So there's not a lot of acorn woodpeckers hanging out down in those areas. Yeah. <laughs> so there she is, number 1,000. But it was really cool. We went to a park that Eric had staked out um, on eBird, and it was a business park, and it did not allow public access, even <laughs> though, like, it's a totally open park. You just can't park anywhere and walk. Otherwise, it's trespassing. We, we probably could have and not got in trouble. I didn't see any security, like, SUVs driving around or anything. No, I just but didn't want to chance it. It's, it's a whole tech industry area, so there's, like, like solar manufacturing companies and, like, all, all these different like industrial businesses that, that they probably have security robots probably they probably would open up a garage door yeah. and like it, the whole ground opens up and a robots come there's like 50 of them like <laughs> <laughs> um but after we drove around that area and couldn't find it we went to another spot that eric had staked out uh Arenko station yeah Arenko woods yeah, um, out probably in the, pronouncing it wrong. Whatever, okay. out in the Hillsboro, <laughs> Oregon area, and like we both went to the bathroom in the porta potty at separate times, and then came out, <laughs> and they were there were like three of them playing around in the trees. You like, just see them right from the car. I know it was one of those birds. <laughs> like if you're in the right place, you see them. Yeah, you go to, you go to the right habitat at the right time of year, and boom, it's right there. Yeah. Getting into the meat yeah. of the podcast. Yeah, getting getting into the meat of it. So before before we went and saw the acorn woodpecker, we uh, we had gone up to uh, Central Oregon for this Eagle Watch festival uh, that Hannah was talking about. It's uh, it's in Central Oregon uh, near Madras. So it's about an hour north of Bend, which is a pretty popular outdoor yeah. destination. Was it two hours east of Portland? About yeah. You yeah. Get, get on get on the highway out of Portland, Highway Twenty Six, drive up and over Mount Hood. And then another hour or so, and you're there. I love how you make that sound like it's not a big deal, just up yeah, and over Mount Hood. Just up and over the mountain. No, it was treacherous. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> uh, but really, the reason we had done it, had gone to this festival, I'd heard of it. I used to work for Oregon State Parks as a seasonal uh, park interpreter. And I had heard of it when I was there um, working for the, the parks, but then... Somebody on one of the interpretive Facebook pages that I'm a part of asked for volunteers for it. And we were like, heck yes, it's not that far. It's We can take a weekend and go over and it'll be fun. Um, so we signed up for it, even though we, we didn't really know a whole lot about it. But we were like, we can spot eagles. I literally knew nothing about it until the day before. Because I wasn't reading the emails <laughs> with uh, with Jill, the, the coordinator. That's it was, just like you. That's just like me. Yeah, just, I was... I, I saw that the title, that I was going to be a raptor spotter, and that the event was an eagle watch, and it was a volunteer, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll wing it, we'll get there, and we'll figure it out. But I literally knew nothing about it until the day before. So anyways, getting on <laughs> with the story. Um, the event, it's called Eagle Watch, and it's hosted by Portland General Electric, which is the electric company that powers all of Oregon? Not all, not all of it. It's Almost all of Oregon, I think. It's so it's the Portland, the Portland area, and then they spread out to cover like a little bit more rural areas. So it's I don't know how far south they go, but Pacific Power takes up at a certain point. And so out here on the coast, we have Pacific Power. Most of central and eastern Oregon has Pacific Power. 
the PGE is kind of like slowly, slowly spreading their wings and you know, getting getting out to the outer edges. So it was PGE, Oregon Parks and Recreation Department. the The main park out there is the Cove Palisades, so they had a big staff presence, and then also the U.S. Forest Service. Mm-hmm. And they've been putting on this event for about twenty four years. That's that's pretty good. Twenty four yeah. years every year having an event. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this year's event had to be cut a little bit short, but they still had it. Yeah. Yeah, so um, mentioning it, I'll, I'll segue myself into where I'm going. So I, I, I mentioned <laughs> that to cut a little bit short. So they, they had a big storm was blowing in this last weekend. Um, it's like some unusual, unusually high amount of snow was going to be falling just everywhere. And there was all sorts of winter winter weather advisories and stuff going on. So we booked it to get try to get there before the storm and then they decided to cancel the second day because it was just going to be too dangerous to have people out there and so we booked it back to the portland area before the storm hit also <laughs> it was like so it was a day trip yeah it was a day trip over to mattress and back which <laughs> kind of seems silly it was like it's six hours of driving a day trip. yeah not normally a day trip but we made it a day trip um, yeah, the pass over Mount Hood was a little snowy. Um, yeah, it wasn't too bad. No, it wasn't super bad. We were, like, right behind a plow. Yeah, so well, that took we, care of it. we were, like, they, they had paused and gone through a couple times in the morning already, and then we pulled over to put on um, put on chains, and a plow pulled up, because we parked right next to the sign about warning um, if you need to have your chains or if you need to just carry them. And the road is all snowy, and we're talking to the plow driver, and he's like, oh, you probably don't need them. Don't worry about it. It's like, oh, man, I got out, got out of line there because there was a bunch of traffic. But Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, but it, it worked out. We didn't didn't need the chains at all. It just drove up and over the pass. It yeah. was good. And it was really pretty. Oh, it was fantastic, yeah. Haven't seen, like, haven't seen the mountain in a few years now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so after getting over to the Madras area, Eagle Watch uh, was in full swing. We got there about 1 o'clock or so. Um and it takes place at Roundview Overlook Park, which is a park that's not open every day. So just be aware if you go there um, to check the the timing of it. It's yeah. actually not open from like half the year. It's open the middle of May to the middle of September. Oh, I, didn't, or so. I didn't even see that on there. There hours. I just I just saw that it's Thursday to Monday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. And otherwise, the gate's locked. Well, either way, check yeah. the website. <laughs> yeah, check their website. It's got it's got lots of good information and. Tells you if their bathrooms are open or not, which they're not right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in a lot of snowy places, you might know that they winterize bathrooms, which basically just means that they shut the water off. So nothing, no pipes burst. So that's what yeah. happened there. They put like de-icer in the, in the toilet bowls and stuff like that, just so it doesn't freeze over and blow out all your ceramics. <laughs> that would, that would not be fun to come to in the, when it, when it warms up, that'd be very unpleasant. Yeah, so it's just open during Eagle Watch for the special occasion. Otherwise, it's closed okay. for about half the year. Yeah, so um, this event, um, Eagle Watch, it started back in 1996. There was a couple a couple years in a row of like er- eruptive years of golden eagles and bald eagles that were congregating na- real close to the um, ran- Round Butte Dam. And it prompted the biologists in the area and the local um, ornithologists the ornithologists and the groups out there to decide, Hey, we need to like capitalize on this. We've got hundreds of Eagles that are just here every February. And so they, they started this festival 
kind of the rest is history. <laughs> it's just Yeah, but the funny thing is after those first couple years where they had hundreds of eagles, then it got it like went way down the number of eagles. Like yeah. there were only a couple here, a couple there. Um so that was pretty weird how they had those eruptive years and then it just super backed off. But they still continue to hold the Eagle Watch Festival mm-hmm. because so many people enjoy coming and watching them. And it's estimated in that area. So um, we'll talk more about the f- facility in a minute, but it's kind of, it's a plat. It looks down into a river channel. Yeah, it's the, um, the, the canyon that was carved by the Deschutes River that... Is kind of like a wider spot in the canyon, so they put they put some dams in there, and so it's filled up a little bit. But it's this big, huge canyon, and you're looking out at different plateaus. And because of the geography or the geology, topography, yeah, topography, geology, yeah, oceanography, <laughs> um, there happens to be about eleven pairs of bald eagles and nine golden eagles that regularly live in the area and um, typically breed in there. And what you're looking down at is Lake Billy Chinook. Um, which is a pretty popular, just tourist destination. It's really popular in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Lots of people go there and, you know, like, wakeboard or do water Fish activities. All the, all the fun water ski, all those all those things that people do on lakes. Water ski. You know, yeah. lake things. <laughs> and these resident eagles, they're joined by a lot of other different mig- raptor migrants in late winter, including things... Um, Including more bald and golden eagles, but other things like red-tailed hawks mm-hmm. and the... There were so many ravens out there. I don't know if yeah. the ravens are coming and going. I just know there's so many ravens out there. Well, I was thinking of the prairie um, oh, the prairie falcon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the weird thing is that the Forest Service actually, they pick up roadkill, like deer mostly, mm-hmm. and then they deposit it on, on the opposite side of the the overlook and that kind of creates a massive bird feeder yeah so i don't i don't nobody's nobody mentioned that when we were there that i don't day. think you would want to mention that i don't know if you want to mention i don't know if you want to tell people that there's a bunch of rotting deer on the other side over there but um both gold eagles and bald eagles and balden eagles <laughs> I really like gold, that. golden and balden golden and bald eagles they both uh they both eat carrion so you have a bunch of a bunch of dead uh, deer over there they're gonna attract but it's also gonna attract the ravens too that's well, and deer's probably. pretty prevalent over there. Oh, yeah. And there's and, a lot of deer strikes yeah. out in that area. That's pretty much, if you live on the, in that area, if you haven't hit a deer, you just haven't lived there long enough. That's, <laughs> that's, that's my understanding. Wow. So I, everybody out there was talking about deer, road deer, strikes. Road strikes and roadkill and all sorts of things. Like, every single person that I talked to was talking about that. That's so. kind of scary. I know. I was like, all right, well, apparently there's a lot of deer getting hit by cars on the roads. So I found it really interesting that Eagle Watch was originally started as an ornithological event. So it wasn't typically like a festival, like you think of a festival. It's more of like a, a American Ornithological Society or, you know, we went to the Florida Ornithological yeah. Society meeting where it's not, it's not like a whole ton of people and just trying to get people interested. It's really like more of an academic um, undertaking. And so that that's fascinating to me that it started out that way with really seriously dedicated birders coming out and organizing academic speakers to give talks. And it's just, it, this festival has really evolved and it's becoming a little bit more like other bird events where it's got more of a family focus on it with less academia. Yeah, which I mean, I, I really enjoy going to bird lectures and stuff. So I was a little disappointed they didn't have any, but 
but it's still it's really good that you're getting the kids involved like you're getting you're educating the kids and getting them interested enough to force their parents into being interested <laughs> i think that's the number one way to get them you get the kids and then the parents are dragged along to all the things and then they get interested did like, that work with your parents i don't i don't think so <laughs> But um, but they did have um, some a research group from the Bureau of Land Management, um, BLM, out there. They're doing some uh, GPS monitoring research on some resident bald eagles. They're boothing a tent and kind of talking about what they're doing. Yeah, which they had some really interesting things to say about what they're doing. So they yeah. have put these GPS backpacks on a couple different... Were they gold eagles? Uh, I, think, eagles? I think they were just doing bald eagles. Okay. So, so they put a couple on some bald eagles and they put them on residents. And one of them was really fascinating. Yeah. The, they, they put the GPS backpack, which it, it uploads every, every hour, um, a little bit of data. And they tracked it for a little while. And then it got into a confrontation with another adult bald eagle. And it got kicked off its territory and went up to Canada. And it went up to Canada. I think he said it took two days or three days. Four days. Four days. That's what it was. 450 miles. 450 miles in four days. Just flew right up to Canada. Stayed up there for a whole year. No, it was like three months. I thought it was... I'm getting all all the information wrong, apparently. (laughs) And maybe I should have taken notes. I don't know. But it it went up there for a while and then turned around and flew all the way back. And now it's back in pretty much the same exact area, just like a little bit over. But I think he said that it's done it several times. Yeah. It's like yearly. Yeah, it's done it yearly now. That's that's crazy. It's just... Goes on vacation. It was a resident. Now it's a migrant. But it was really Hmm. interesting to look at the um, home range size of rural versus urban birds. Yeah. Because, like, the urban birds, they required a lot more home range, right? No, it was. I think it was the other way around. I think it was um, the the urban birds, the ones that they got near ish to the city. Mm -hmm. The I guess they were they they caught them in the um, the wooey. The wildlife urban interface. Yeah, the wildlife urban. Wooey means fancy acronym. So typically, the wooey, when I was thinking about it in college, it was like, you you lived on the wooey if you're, like, house-butted up against a forest. Yeah. So it's that line of where habitat and, like, humanity meet. Yeah. So they, they caught they caught a couple of the eagles that were right on that line where it's close to, close to some neighborhood or something like that. And those had a significantly, I think it was those ones had a significantly smaller home range, both breeding and not breeding season. And then the other ones, it was like 10 times the size. The ones that they caught that were uh, in the more rural area. Yeah. And that's a fun word to say. Rural. I know. I'm trying to figure out how to say it. Uh, I don't know. But they they had a significantly larger, which I mean, it's kind of expected because they're less limited by human factors. But to have some data behind it. I thought it was going to be the food that was the thing that caused them to have more of a a bigger home range. Oh yeah. Because that's what I was thinking originally. It was like their house, the house being there, you know, prevented a lot of their, um, less deer around and stuff. Maybe. Yes. Cause it's de- hey. bald eagles are carrying away. They're carrying away deer. deer. Well, hey, they'll I mean, eat them. They'll I know. Them. No, I know. But I'm thinking like fish. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably more likely, but that's, yeah, that's interesting. So they, the BLM was there talking about things like that. And, um, we asked them, you know, kind of about the perception of people, because they were closing some of these areas because of breeding bald eagles. Um, 
and so I asked, like, what's the perception for the public with this? Because, you know, a lot of times people don't want areas to close that they regularly use. And if you tell them, you know, it's, oh, because of breeding birds, they might get confrontational or yeah. upset because you're you're taking away something that they would typically go to. Yeah. And I feel like I've run into that battle a lot in my career. Not personally, but just hearing from other people's perspectives on it. And I thought it was really interesting that he said, once you tell them it's a bald eagle nesting there, they're like, oh, yeah, cool. Go for it. Go do it. Because <laughs> A lot less confrontation when, when you mention that it's a bald eagle that you're protecting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So were you able to get kind of your fill of academia with that? I, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> and that whole that information from the BLM, they're still working on it. Um, he was saying that that's kind of a side project that they're not, they don't have a whole lot of funding to work with. Yeah, he said the, the government shutdown it kind of made them prioritize other higher priority projects. So this is kind of falling to the back burner while they take care of the other things that have already been funded since the government shutdown had a huge slowdown of all of their reports and projects and everything. So we're looking forward to a point. Of when they they can come yeah. out with some reporting on this, get some some uh, what are they called? Conclusions. Yeah, they're real. get some conclusions <laughs> drawn. <laughs> I, I'm j- blanking on like every word today. And just so we have like some actual factual data of what we're talking about, that you and I are just muddling through. Yeah. Since we're not doing the project, we're not doing the project. We just we're trying to go from memory what he told us. Yeah. <laughs> Very professional. Exactly. Um, but speaking of, you know, the academia versus more of the family fun aspect of this festival, I did have a chance to chat with a lady. She was kind of older. She had just retired from uh, education. And she had been at the festival, like, years ago. She was saying that her husband's a big bird watcher. She was, I think... Oh, she was the one you were talking to Yeah, she was, like, the first... Yeah. Yeah. I first had to go over and talk to her because she was like, my husband keeps a list of birds. (laughs) I was like, me too. Uh, But anyways, I was talking to her a lot about the festival in the past since she had attended it and we hadn't... And she said that you know, she had reflected that there was that bigger focus historically on more of an ornithological community with lectures and it shifted to like a family friendly event, which she was a little frustrated with, which I'm surprised. I don't usually hear that, like the frustration in that. It's usually like, Oh, it's great that kids are out here, you know, and you get the kids interested. So I, I thought that was really interesting to talk to her about. And we had talked she and I had talked a little bit about how to maybe reverse that. So there is a little bit more lecture, um, academia like you like. Yeah. And I was trying to promote, you know, that you're also getting kids out and that's still, that's still really important yeah. too. You know, not everybody wants to do, to do that. <laughs> not everyone wants to have kids all around you're running and screaming while you're trying to watch Hawks. But yeah, no, I get that. But you, kids need to be out there. But I they think, I think it's an opportunity for the festival in, mm-hmm. in the coming years to try to balance that, have a couple lectures in secluded areas that you're not going to have kids racing around yeah. and also have the ex- expo with the boothing because when we went in the expo building, or it was it was a tent, it was a it big was a tent, yeah. tent. There was a lot of people in there. Oh yeah, and it's not just because it like had heaters. <laughs> you didn't uh, need the heaters most of the day. They had some food in there. There was um, a lot of some cultural exhibits as mm-hmm. well as like the the BLM and everything, and some activities for kids. Yeah. So I think a good balance would really 
uh, make the festival, you know, that much better. Even though I'm not saying that it wasn't good. It was no, a lot of fun. No, it's a good festival. I mean, it's a free festival. So, I mean, it's it's good. They, they put a lot of effort and do a lot of work for a festival that no one's paying entry fees for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was surprised. It's a lot of work to put that together. I was surprised to hear that in the past that this two-day festival has attracted, in past events, has attracted about 1,000 people over the weekend, hmm. which is amazing. The yeah. one we were at, or the day we were there. Um, they said they had about 250 people or yeah, so. Something so they, like that, yeah. If Sunday had happened, they would have expected around 500, but yeah. they've had up to 1,000. Yeah, but the weather was really terrible. Like, everyone was terrified to leave the Portland area because there was the huge winter storm coming. So there, there was a lot of mitigating factors that kind of, like, were putting a kibosh on the whole people wanting to come out and do stuff outside. Cause, yeah. So that, that probably hurts numbers, but, I mean... And still getting 250 people on a day when it was like right at freezing the whole day and it was kind of trying to snow the whole time to an eagle watch. That's, well, that's and, a lot of people. And that also plays into the other, my other point is that there were a lot of locals that were there. Yeah, there were. Um, we didn't, oh, I talked to a, you know, a pretty good number of people and asked them where they lived. And then, I mean, not for creeper purposes, just generally <laughs> where did you live? And then also how'd you hear about the event or why did you decide to come? And a lot of the people said they lived nearby or maybe, you know, at the most like an hour away from the festival. A lot of people from like Bend or local Madras area. Yeah. And why they had decided to come. Um, many of them had come to the festival year after year after year because they like seeing the eagles or they like the activities or whatever. Or they had like seen it on Facebook and decided to come because they wanted to see an eagle. There was a, a woman that I talked to that she had never been to the festival before. She had just moved into the area. And she was telling me how she was driving down the road the other day. Down one of the like country roads. Um, on her way home from work, and she noticed off to the side that there was a something white on the side of the road, yeah. and so she pulled over to look at it, and it was an eagle. <laughs> and she looked next to it, and it, there was a golden eagle <laughs> that was right next to it. <laughs> and she said that she was maybe like ten feet away from him, and all of a sudden, like the bald eagle picked something up and started flying away. And she thinks it was maybe it's the golden eagle's chick. Or huh. maybe, you know, it was a prey item that they were fighting over. But she wasn't interested in birds. She wasn't <laughs> really into wildlife. But she had this experience that made her come out and try to learn more about these things. Which I think that is just, that's really cool that she had that experience. And, yeah. you know, it encouraged her to learn more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and th I think that was a really common theme with the participants that came to the event were mostly not birders. Yeah. It was mostly people that they have heard of an eagle before they don't they don't know much else besides they've heard of what an eagle is and they what they want to see a bald eagle and mm -hmm. so i guess it kind of made a little bit disappointed that most of the eagles we saw were immature so they weren't <laughs> the the full white head white tail yeah um bald eagles but like mo most of them they they would be just so excited just to see an eagle and which which is super exciting for like us because i mean Normally, like on a normal day, we'd see an eagle and it's, oh, it's another, it's just another bird. We see birds flying around all the time. Well, and that's what I think is so much fun there because like we, you know, grew up where the Pacific meets the Columbia River yeah. and there's a ton of eagles out here yeah. and it's just not a big deal for us to see an eagle. I saw one this morning when yeah. I was driving down downtown. Um, and I'm also not old enough to remember, you know, the DDT issues. And so I'm really accustomed to eagles being around and yeah. not thinking it's a big deal. 
So it's really cool when we're able to engage with people that do think that's really cool because that just yeah, brings definitely. it to a whole nother level, which um, Julie Raithmail, when we were interviewing them, when she was talking about Anhingas and that she'll have people come and they've never seen an Anhinga. Mm-hmm. And when she sees it with them, it's like seeing it again for the first time. Like at that festival, when there was a bald eagle that flew past or a golden eagle or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I'd, you guys would be spotting it. I'd yell out and people would just come over because they, they'd come like running. <laughs> yeah. Because they wanted to see it. And that's just, that's so exciting for me. Yeah. That's, that, that is super, it, it brings back the excitement of seeing it for the first time when people are seeing it and they're just so crazy excited about seeing something that on a normal day, we would just think, oh, well, that's another tick to put to the list for the day of birds that we've seen for the day. <laughs> but I don't think uh, bird, the bald eagles are exciting. But, yeah, well, or as exciting as some people do. <laughs> that's just who you are. I guess. <laughs> so the festival was just super cool. So we got a chance to talk to a lot of people and see some birds. Um, there were also some pretty cool stations in that exhibit booth, like we were talking about, where kids could build a birdhouse, which I thought that was super cool because they that had everything really cool. like measured out. And then they had a, um, I'm going to call it a brand. brand. Is yeah. that the right thing? Yeah. Okay. They sure. had a brand that's the Oregon State Park seal. It was pretty big. It was like five inches long or yeah. something like that. And so you build the birdhouse and then they'd take the branding iron and brand it right in the yeah. front. That was, that was cool. They pull, they, pull, they pull it out of the fire right in front of you and just... Right I on thought the front they would have like done that to all of them beforehand, but yeah. no, <laughs> they yeah, do it right in front of you. That's so cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, so they had they had all the the booths for crafts and button making and a scavenger hunt, and they had hot dogs and raffle prizes. Which there was a specific prize that Hannah Witten saw that she really wanted. Yeah, they had this huge fancy uh, metal fire pit in there that was just it was huge. It was amazing, and it was actually built by the correctional. Um, facility that's down there oh yeah yeah and it was like really ornate like those guys <laughs> did a good job well it's that's like all the things when we worked uh for texas we ordered a lot of stuff from the um from the state of correction or the state department of corrections yeah but we ordered like chemicals and bottles and like well, desks de- and stuff i mean like that. The, it's I mean, just they're, like they're putting stuff together i know but it's not something that they get to like be creative about yeah no it's, it's not like a fancy metal fire pit actually i think some of our design was done by um prisoners oh really yeah huh. get to use computer graphics it's kind of exciting yeah. i guess I don't, know. I don't know much about what what goes on behind those doors i don't know it's just you know getting people's skills yeah or using their skills they already have Build, building the skills they already have yeah well so what we what we actually signed up for at this event was to be raptor spotters and so we we're actually signed up for the second day of the event but like we've mentioned a couple times, the weather was not cooperating with the event at all. And uh, Jill gave us a call, the coordinator, she gave us a call on Friday to let us know, hey, the impending storm might cancel Sunday. We're probably still going to do Saturday, but Sunday might get canceled. So we asked her if we could come volunteer Saturday. And then if Sunday's going, we'll do Sunday too. But just to, so we could at least get one day out there and see what's going on at the festival. And she was like, hey, yeah, come on out. So so we headed out Sunday, or we headed out Saturday to be, able to, to be able to do that a day early. So there was more volunteers, I guess, than what was kind of expected, but which is good. Yeah. There was, there was a lot of people there. Yeah, and because of the weather, um, we decided, you know, to go early. But then at the end of it, they said they were going to cancel it. So we were thinking, oh, man, we better get over the mountain back 
to the Portland area before it hits. But Eric really wanted to go look for Prairie Falcon, and somebody told him where Prairie Falcon was. So yeah, we, the, one of the volunteers that we were working with, he was like, oh, you haven't seen Prairie Falcon? How have you not seen Prairie Falcon? They're all <laughs> over the place. Just drive down the road here, <laughs> take three rides. And he's like, I don't know any of the road names. Just just drive down that way. You'll, you'll, know, you'll know when you see it. It's like three more rights, and then take a left, and then one more right, and you'll, you'll find the area. <laughs> yeah, so five minutes later, we found it. <laughs> it was super easy. We just drove down the road, and it was like... It was hanging out on one of the A-frames um, for the power lines. Just pulled up to it, and it gave us the weirdest look. It was So we pulled up like in line with the poles, and it was like stuck its head out from around the pole to look at us with like, a sideways head. Like, yeah, it was what, really funny. What the heck are you coming here for? <laughs> and we, so we get out of the car and look at it for a few seconds. It hops up, flies around us, and then takes off down into the canyon. It's like, all right, well, there it is. <laughs> well, I feel like the moral of this event is that this year we're just going to close down all these events because of weather cancellations. Yeah, so I guess don't invite us if you don't want the weather to close down your event. <laughs> or if you want a break, invite us and yeah, we'll invite end us. it early. Yeah, we'll end your event early. Uh, so we had a ton of fun raptor spotting, and it wasn't just seeing the raptors and you know talking to the people, but also talking to the other volunteers. We were scheduled from about 1 to 3 to help out on Saturday after we told him we would help Saturday. And we were with um, just the nicest guy. His name was Phil. Yeah, he, he was he was kind of, he was an older guy that um, he was super friendly. He, li- he lives in the area, but he's originally from like the Midwest. And he had a lifelong career in wildlife and land management. So he had all sorts of insight into uh, like wildlife management and all, all sorts of... Uh, kind of government things like that (laughs) and um he also had been doing this event for a few years so he had some insight into the event that he could just let us let us know some things that we just didn't have any idea and probably wouldn't have found out any other way and that's one of my favorite things about going to events like this is just getting to meet all these interesting people and and to quote one of my former americorps just like listen to their stories (laughs) because he was just a really fascinating guy and he was the one that told us where the prairie falcon was. yeah there you go thank you phil (laughs) we appreciate that um so the event like we said took place at round butte overlook park which like we said is a pge park or portland general electric which i'm surprised that they have their own parks and they have a division of parks and recreation yeah which just seems so foreign to me but interesting and this site was absolutely beautiful had views of lake billy chinook and just down through the deschutes river channel um and it's right above the Round Butte Dam. So you're going to check out the dam. And um, it's about 400 feet above the lakes. And you can just see a huge variety of wildlife. Yeah, we even saw our lifer Barrow's Goldeneye. Which should have... Another one that we probably should have seen out here at the coast or something. 400 but feet down there. 400 feet away. Barrow's Goldeneye just down there feeding in the... Right behind the dam. It was pretty cool. And they also have a, uh, a pretty interesting uh, interpretive display about the hydroelectric project and the wildlife of the Deschutes River. Like a little small little building right there, right, right next to where we were raptor spotting. And um, they kind of highlight how PGE has, um, they provide a lot of the power, but they've also done a great job of protecting a lot of the areas for wildlife as well. Yeah, so they have a number of parks around Oregon as well as three campsites. Three campgrounds, sorry. Yeah, so if you're planning on visiting the Overlook, you should know that it's typically open during the summer, um, end of May to the middle of September, and it's free. And we already we already talked about the hours, so. So you already know the so hours. You already know. <laughs> 
Um, so for uh, for that day, I think we had a, a high count of uh, four bald eagles and one golden eagle. We had a couple red tails and a ton of common ravens. Um, there's probably a couple more bald eagles and I think at least one more golden eagle. So maybe two different golden eagles, but they might have just been the same same ones flying back and forth. And just for some information on eagles, most people know bald eagles. You know, it's a dark bird with... Uh, with dark back and wings and a white tail and white head though for a bald eagle to get this plumage it actually takes about five years so they go in different phases until they get to their adult plumage mm-hmm. and in the meantime these huge birds actually just look really brown and speckly with white in the armpits sometimes called wing pits wing pits <laughs> <laughs> or auxiliary feathers and modeling in the tail and i feel like We've had the hardest time trying to tell the bald eagle and the golden, the immature juvenile, yeah, the adult, subadult, the the immature, immature. <laughs> it's not mature, so it's immature. I don't know. I feel like you've told me every word I've used is wrong. I, every I feel like every word I use is wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry for being wrong. Um, We're not experts. Yes, <laughs> but telling those apart from the golden eagles, like. It was just super tough <laughs> to figure that out when we were standing there with a bunch of people. Yeah. Well, and, like, I, I know we know some things. Like, so we know, like, the white armpits. Like, okay, you kind of, kind of keep an eye for, out for, for white armpits on the juvenile or the immature um, bald eagles. Mm-hmm. You kind of look for, on the golden eagles, um, the base of the outer primary feathers is white. So it kind of has, like, how a, a black vulture has, like, mittens. It's kind of the same thing, but they're back a little bit. So it's got black at the tips, but then a little bit white in there. So there, there's a few things to kind of look for. But when you're when you're out there and the weather conditions aren't super great, it's really really hard to see that. And you really you really want to get people on a bird. <laughs> and you know, for the golden eagles, you got to look for their uh, golden brown napes. So that means you have to be yeah. above them. Yeah, you got to be above them, like in a plane or something, I guess. <laughs> or or wait until the sun's shining just right and they turn their head to look away from you. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, it's a different color of brown. <laughs> It's it's really distinctive if it's in the right light. It's yeah. it's definitely gold, like a, a definitely golden color if you see it in the right light for the for their for their whole nape. But that really doesn't happen. <laughs> well, we are fortunate to have two bald eagles, adult bald eagles, fly over uh, super close at the top of the rim of the um, river channel there, yeah. so where we were standing at the overlook. So we were able to get a bunch of people on them and see these birds really close up. And a lot of kids were just so excited to see these birds soar like 50 feet away from us yeah. at our same level. Yeah, the, the, one, one of those flying super close is when you turned around and yelled bald eagle and everyone just came running. And it was just <laughs> like right right there. So it was it was a super, super exciting moment. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, so the only... I think the only positive idea of a golden eagle that we had was a really high soaring immature bird. So there was one that flew, it was close to the end of the day, the, uh, an eagle that flew real close. It was, it turned out to be an immature bald eagle, but I took a couple pictures of it and then I just started telling people that it was a golden eagle. I Not, <laughs> not, not lying on purpose. I didn't realize, I, I thought golden eagle at first. So I'm telling everyone, and then I'm telling them how to differentiate between a golden eagle and a bald eagle, and I'm not even looking at the bird anymore. And then I go back and look at my photos, and I'm like, oh, that was a bald eagle that I was telling everyone was a golden eagle, and telling them how it doesn't, how it has all the features that aren't in the photo. So that's, I guess, rookie mistake. Continue looking at the bird. Just keep looking at it. If you 
don't uh, don't just assume that what you initially thought was true. I mean, if any of them are there listening, then they can they can call me out again. But they didn't call me out then, so I don't know. <laughs> so you know my favorite quote about birding, right? The um, how, the what makes you an expert? The difference between a beginner and expert is yeah. the expert's gotten more wrong. <laughs> well, maybe I am an expert. You're then. just I don't you're know. no, you're just still getting oh. you're getting closer. I'm getting closer. I see. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm constantly wrong because I'm like trying to level up here. <laughs> so that was pretty exciting. Um, the last thing, you know, when we were there, we were asking the park rangers who put on the festival what others should know about the festival and birding, and they just want people to get out and bird watch mm-hmm. it's a fun family-friendly activity that's free and just anyone can do it and it's a great hobby for kids and families i feel like that's kind of what we've been preaching this whole time yeah is exactly you should just get out and do it yeah and they also wanted people to know that this is their 24th year so 2020 is going to be the 25th year so make sure to come out and explore it if you have the time it's like we said it's free it's fun it's interesting um, it's a great time and they're hoping to get more people from the Portland area and other semi-distant areas. Like it's great that they have a lot of locals that go, I, you know, I'm sure they're just ecstatic to be that engaged with the local community, oh, yeah. but also getting folks from the outer areas that don't know about some of these places that would be fantastic. So if you're in the Portland area or a semi-reasonable distance from Madras <laughs> next year, you might put on your snow chains and go out and check it out. Yeah. And like, like we said, the snow chains weren't really required this time. It was close, but not quite. <laughs> we took them out of the package, at we least. took them out of the package, so, started to put them on, and so, then didn't need to. <laughs> so thank you to PGE um, and the Oregon State Parks and U.S. Fish and uh, Forest Service. for and BLM. Ha- and the BLM. Yeah, thank you all for having us out to volunteer. We hope we didn't cause too much trouble yeah. <laughs> with Eric's Golden Eagle mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it happens. <laughs> I tried. Um, so the other thing that we did this week that was pretty exciting, and I was have been looking forward to it for a couple weeks now, um, we got a copy of the new bird-based board game, Wingspan. Oh, what? You don't know what that is? <laughs> <laughs> it is a very fun game that I don't even remember how we got turned on to it. I don't know. I don't remember where I first saw it, but I remember seeing... Oh, I think it was Audubon. Audubon, National Audubon, had an article about it back in December. Okay. Or maybe it was January. And then we tried to buy it, and you can't buy it. Yeah. And so then we pulled some strings, and we were like, hey, can we get a copy to review? And they were like, here's a damaged one you yes. can check out, which we are enthralled. So excited to have, to have it. <laughs> we just got it this these last couple of days or last week. Yeah. And we've only had one night a chance to play it. But we've only played it three times. <laughs> yeah. We sat and played it for like four hours. <laughs> had to learn all the rules. Yes, which I don't think we know them all. Uh, no. but this game is just so much fun to learn how to play and I, I can't wait to play it again. After we edit the podcast. Yes, as soon as we finish recording this, we can go play it again. <laughs> and get some more people to join us. Yeah. It's, I, I think it'll probably be more exciting with three or more people. Or it's, they're just going to tell us we're doing it all wrong. Maybe. Well, it's it's designed for one to five people. There, there, there's a way to play it by yourself. Automa. Automa, yeah. Um, but I think the more people you have, the more fun. Because you can kind of like compete with each other. Yes. So. Yeah, it's kind of like chess where, like, you have to think about it for, like, five minutes before you make a move. <laughs> like, if you actually know how to play chess. <laughs> if you play good chess. If you play good chess, yeah. yeah. So the game was designed by Elizabeth Hargrave, and art is done by Natalia Rojas. 
Anna uh, Maria Martinez Jaramillo and Beth Sobel. And I am so happy that all of the designers of this are females. That's pretty exciting. Way to go. (laughs) You guys rock. Yeah, so this this type of game, it's um, it's a card game that's an engine builder card game. So for those of you not familiar with what an engine building card game is, you're not alone. I didn't know what the term meant. I have played engine building card games before, but I didn't know that's what they were <laughs> called. Um, so what you basically do is you'll have um, different elements in the game that you kind of that come together, and you have to strategically assemble, quote unquote, assemble them to for them to produce resources and points for you. So basically, you're building your engine, and so you have to strategically use cards that you get as your hand to build different with different uh, abilities and stuff to then win. So it, you don't like play something and get points and win immediately. You kind of win with combos. So it's it's really exciting and it's it makes it more of a thinking game rather than just kind of like a oh just plop it out and just throw throw some cards down and play it real quick like solitaire or something. And it can have from anywhere from one to five people playing, like Eric said, mm-hmm. um, playing for about forty to seventy minutes. So it's a pretty pretty long game, and it's good for ages ten and up because, like he said, it is it is a thinking game. <laughs> it's, it's a thinking game. Yeah. So you really try, want to try to develop the best strategy going forward. Um, and this is a whole new experience for me because I grew up playing games like Sorry and Don't Wake Daddy and Mousetrap. So I never had to play anything that was like too complicated. I think Mousetrap was the most complicated, but it was like, how do you get these plastic pieces to scale? <laughs> uh, and I think we stopped family game night when I was a kid because I got upset if I lost. So, yeah. So Hannah gets to win it. Sorry. <laughs> so Hannah always has to win it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but this, yeah, this game was a ton of fun. So we just played the two player and we mm-hmm. went with the quick start because we were like a little scared. We, I honestly had to, uh, I'm not super great at reading rules and comprehending how, how gameplay works. So I had to, uh, go online and watch a YouTube video or two. And <laughs> which there are like thousands. Yeah. Like this game has taken off. It is oh, amazing. It has. We're on a Facebook group that has like 3,500 people on it and they're obsessed with this game. Yeah. It's, I, I wish it makes me feel like I wish I knew more about board games. Cause there's people talking about like making adjustments to it. There's, all, all sorts of people that are buying sleeves for the cards so that they don't damage the cards. Yeah, you and came in and told me about like card sleeves like for twenty minutes. Oh my gosh, it was it was interesting. I got I got went down a, <laughs> a whole rabbit hole of comments. It was like ninety six comments about wow. card sleeves. <laughs> oh my gosh, about all the different types of card sleeves you can get and and stuff like that, just to protect the game so you don't ruin the game. Uh huh. Yeah, which it. the design like the cards are stunning. Oh my gosh, the artwork fantastic. is beautiful. And it's all North America stuff. Yeah. And I know on the Facebook page, there's a lot of people like in the UK mm-hmm. that want an adaptive version for them. So I don't know if that's coming down the pipe or what, but like that, that would be really cool. And it would be a great way for us to learn other birds in other areas. Like we just um, bought tickets to go to Copenhagen this year. And I don't even know. Like, <laughs> Don't even know what to expect. Over I know. There. <laughs> But that would be super cool if there was a game that we could play so we could learn more about those birds. Yeah. It would be a good way to trick kids into learning birds. <laughs> well, so it, it was. I thought it was really fascinating because what was it? There was um, 170? I think so. There 100, 170 bird cards. So there's 170 different birds, and it spans 
the whole gamut of birds. So it's really common things like uh, morning dove, inca dove. Turkey vulture. Turkey vulture. And then they had things, California condor on there, bald eagles. They, they had, And each of the different birds has different powers and like powers or abilities that can be used. So that's like d- different things like, um, um, I'm trying to think, the screech owl. You could... Uh, um, the activate thing? Yeah, they, they activate the power that it had. It was, um, you would hoard food. Yeah. So it, it would catch food. So it, it does something similar to what they do in real life, kind of. Well, let's start at the basics. So <laughs> you have a board, yeah. and it has three different habitats on it. It has a wetland, it has like an open country, mm-hmm. and then a forest. And so in each of those, you have five slots for cards. You get doled out so many birds, and you get doled out um, five resource chips. And those are things like berries, um, meat, invertebrates, invertebrates, grains, and then I can't fish. Remember, fish. And so you have to um, strategically figure out which of those birds you want to keep and which of the resources you want to keep. And you can only have a combined total of five. Mm-hmm. So you keep two birds and three you know, food things or one bird, four food things or whatever. And that's how you start off the game is like that. And so then you have to make one of four decisions when it's your your turn. You mm-hmm. can either play a bird, which would mean you put it on the, the, on the play field. slot. But you put it on the slot that correlates to... The habitat that it lives in. The habitat it lives in. And some of the birds, they can live in any habitat. So, like, I think turkey vultures could live in all three of those different habitat types. But things like an anhinga can only live in the wetland habitat type. Yeah. And so you have to figure out where this bird is going to do the most good for you. And like Eric said, that um, building up combos is really important in this game. So, like, um, there was one that I had, one row that I had that was, like, every time I made a a move in that row, then one person could draw um, another bird card, and then the second one was another person could draw a bird card, and then the next one was that I could cash grain away, and then, uh, like, I was able to get it to a point where, like, every card was doing something for me. Yeah. So I would want to play that category, so then I could just keep doing that. Keep getting points. Yeah, if that makes any sense at all. And then you play four rounds of it and each round builds upon itself and so that's what creates the engine building of this is that at the end of the round um there's certain goals that you try to accomplish like one of the first rounds could be have the most number of birds in the wetland so if you end that round and you have three birds in the wetland and Eric had one bird in the wetland then you would win that round Mm -hmm. and that goes into your overall score at the end is there anything I'm missing that's like super important? No, I think I think that's the basic mechanics of the game. It was it was it was a lot of fun. So the rules, if, if you're familiar with engine building card games, the rules are fairly straightforward for that genre of games. But neither one of us have played. I haven't played one of those in years, and Hannah has never played an engine building no. board game before. So that was completely new territory. But you know it's okay because I won two out of three. That's true. Eric won and once. I won once. It, it took me to the third try. And then I was like, all right, I won. Let's quit. <laughs> He's like that. No, no, no. I'm, I, I, I'll I, keep losing. It's okay. <laughs> just, just doing... You just went light on me. 
but it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing more of it, and I would really be super interested if they came out with more expansion packs with different species um, and different areas. Um, I, f- I feel like we wouldn't need that for another oh, no. another couple months because. We there's really a, need to get this down. There's what, 170 what cards, and I think we only went through like 40 of them. <laughs> I know. We, we went through so few of them, and it's like, all right, well, now we have all these other... Because we kept pulling disc... There's a lot of discard and stuff like that, so cards you never even saw. Yeah. It's like, man, there's all these cards. I, I should have just gone through and looked at every single card before we played or something, so I... Because I like, appreciate the artwork, because it was every single card is a unique bird, unique artwork... And some of them have facts in the bottom about those Yeah, that's those true. Words. Yeah, they did. They had little, a little italicized little um, quote from somewhere. So if you're playing a five-person game, each person takes five minutes to do a turn because yeah. that's it took us some time yeah. to like do our turns. Then you have 25 minutes until your next turn, and you could be reading all the facts on your bird card. That's true. Yeah, you could, you could sit there and read, read the whole thing, and then the next day around the water cooler, tell everyone about how... Uh, how Osprey catch their prey? Or what, I, I can't remember if Osprey had a little. I can't snippet. remember. I don't think I got Osprey. <laughs> I, no, I don't think I did. See, I was probably. I'm sure it's in there. I it's just in didn't the see stack it. now. It's in the stack somewhere. <sighs> so it is educational. <laughs> it's thought provoking. It's beautiful. Like I, I don't even know the funny thing about it. And this is just something that happens with all things that come out. There were a couple typos in yeah. it, which not a big deal. Um, it said like between had three E's on it. Yeah. Well, I saw an update on their Facebook page that anyone that got the um, the ones with the typos, if you got from the original pre order, they had come out with fixed cards. Oh. Okay. And so I don't. I think it was a really like almost it was really cheap for you to order the a set of all the cards that were typoed that had been fixed. But then everyone that I saw on the Facebook page were like, well, I don't. I don't care. Now I have a unique set that these ones have typos and none of the other ones are going to have typos. And that was the other thing is that people are so into this game, they're building new things for it. Yeah. Like you get these chip, these food chip tokens like I talked about and it's little cardboard cutouts. Yeah. But people are 3D printing their own. Yeah, little, little plastic little plastic food Like, there's probably resources. an Etsy store that is dedicated to this <laughs> stuff. Like, instead of having just the birds, like, there's probably 3D printed birds you could put out. Yeah. It would take so much space, though. Like, because you have so much of the stuff. There's so much. And if yeah. you were to have those resources, like, as little, little plastic. printed birds. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That that box would be like as big as the kitchen table. But it's I'm I'm just so impressed what kind of following and culture that this yeah. has developed and like I don't know how long it's been out for, but like we're still in the phase where people have gotten the first order and people are like chomping at the bit to get the next order. Mm-hmm. So it can't have been out for very long. No. Couldn't have been out for Couldn't very have. long. No, it's it's it just, they just came out like back in like the end of the year. Yeah. Well, I'm really impressed. You guys did a great job on it. And Stone Mayor Games is the one who puts out, who's the, I don't know if you call the it producer. like a producer yeah. or a host or something of that matter. I don't know. Sorry. We don't know that much about board games. This is like our first big board game review. Yeah. It's our only big board game <laughs> review. It's, but it's super exciting. The, um, the, the game itself, the, the whole reason is because... It's birds. Yeah. That's the whole reason we're interested in this. Yeah, that's the whole reason we're playing it. And now we're like freaking addicted to this thing. (laughs) (laughs) And we just can't wait to play it again. And not lying. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyways, um, anything else you have to say about that? 
No, I mean that's that's pretty much. Wingspan I mean, the more we talk, the less we get to play. That's true. Yeah, we need to hurry up and go play. <laughs> we need to cut this off. Yeah, let's go. Let's edit this and then move on. What were you gonna say? Um, oh, I was gonna say about the box. The um, so the box it has uh, a scissor tail flight catcher on the front, and it is just like it's it's the logo for the game. Big and out there. It's a big and out there scissor tail, just <laughs> right in the face. It looks really cool. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. It's like tattoo worthy art. Yeah. So if you would like your own copy of Wingspan, you can pre-order from retailers uh, for our March 8th retail release, which is coming up pretty soon. Yeah. And week, sh- week away? Uh, yeah. Apparently, it's going to be back in stock April 2019. And we'll include the links to that information in our show notes. So if you want to pre-order or, you know, whatever, join the Facebook page so you can see all these, these people, <laughs> like, obsessing over it. Um, we'll see the different ideas too. people get. Yeah, I mean, there's people come up with some pretty cool ideas, like the um, laminating the score sheets. So you have an infinite number of score sheets. I know. Like, there's there's there, all sorts of customization that people have already done. These people have thought way more about it than I ever would have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So, anyways, what's what's next? What's on the docket so we for have, us? We have a lot of stuff planned coming up. Like, I guess not a lot of stuff, but we have stuff planned coming up. <laughs> so, um, in the next. Uh, in the next couple of weeks or so, we're uh, planning on going to um, the Wildlife Center of the North Coast and talking with uh, um, the director up there. I think we're going to talk with the director? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and see uh, see what sort of uh, insight they can give us to injured birds and yeah, so if you yeah, have, see birds, injured birds, yeah. If you have questions about baby birds and yeah, what to do birds, with them, yeah. um, listen in and maybe we'll get you some answers on those. So after that, we're going to be going up to the Wings Over Water Festival in Blaine, um, Blaine, Washington. It's right on the border of uh, Canada and Washington, just yeah. south of Vancouver, Canada. Yeah, way way up there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's north of here. Way up in the north. Way up in the north. <laughs> yeah, so um, we're going to hang out with some of our new friends from uh, Backyard Birding. So. Which is another um, game. It's a card game about bird watching. Yeah, I'm excited to see how that one turns out. Yeah, me too. That'll be a lot of fun. We hope to see you there in Blaine, Washington. Yeah, so thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and or learned something. Um, please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you can find us. Uh, if you'd like to connect with us, please follow us at Hannah Goes Birding on Instagram or Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. Eric with a K. Eric with a K. Hannah with an H. Um, or our Facebook page, um, Hannah and Eric Go Birding. You can also email us at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. Tell us what you hated. Tell us what you liked. Ask us a question. We didn't get any questions this week. No, we didn't. Yeah. Send us a question. Um, and then share us with your friends and, uh, see if we can get a couple people listening. Yeah, that'd be great.